Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. You know... I have a show here. They don't sing my theme song. Why do you get a singing theme song? You must rate around No. What happened was Dave said to me one day, it'd be nice to have a unique theme song. So he gets online, and there's some guy in England who has a website, and you sign on, and you, you you banter back and forth by messaging. And he comes up with a theme song for you. And he did it in like a day. And it was perfect. Well, so, I mean, I, it's just great. So why don't you have a theme song? I, all I've got is a guy. Well, first of all, I guess I ought to say hello. You better introduce yourself. <laughs> hello again, everybody. I'm Steve O'Brien. You may listen to me on our flagship station. Flagship. I do, I do the WPTF Triangles Evening News. And Dave Alexander, not here today. We will talk about, well, we've talked about it on the show before, yeah. but we Dave, will, well, we'll just talk so you, with him in a few. If you don't know, Dave had a surgery. It was extremely successful. We've got him uh, on the line waiting. And we're going to talk about what it's like to have open heart surgery. It's got to be more than just a little bit on the scary well, side. I can tell you right now, he did great. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That is great. Well, Dr. Franklin Weehald is here as always, and I am so honored to be joining you. Well, I am actually honored to have you. I mean, do you ever tell people on your show what your medical background is? I talk about it. I do a thing at 10 of 6. My show goes on at 6. At 10 of 6, I come in this studio with Rick and Donna and tease what's going to be on my Ah. show. And they come back to me with if there's something medical going on okay. in, in the news. They yeah. also know I've that I've been I'm, on Rick and Donna's show twice. Yeah. Oh, it's a great they, show. Oh, it's an awesome show. Yeah. And so they kind of use me with the caveat, he's not a doctor, but no, he does work in Now, wait a minute. That's what we're going to talk about. Because we shouldn't say right off the bat when someone's a physician's assistant right. that they're not a doctor. Sure, you don't have the MD or DO degree, but with your experience, I think that people should listen and not say, well, wait a minute, I maybe shouldn't listen to him because he's not a quote-unquote doctor. Let me. The best partner I ever had um, was a physician's assistant. Oh, that's awesome. Smart as a whip. And we'll talk a little bit about your training and where it comes in and how it's different from an MD because I think people need to know. See, when I graduated in 96, okay. You're younger than me. No, wait a minute. No. You had done some things before you became 25 years of doing this stuff. And so what, how did you do that and go to PA school? Oh, I was out of it. Uh, oh. When you go to PA school, you can do about four things. Eat, sleep, study, and go to class. Well, that was, med, that was med school. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I used to gra- – when I graduated, people would say to me, well, what can you – what can you do that uh, – what can't you do that a doctor can – and I used to say, well, I can do about 85% of what I think, a doctor I can I think do. that's about right. But it's much I higher think it's now. 85% of the meat of mm-hmm. what we do. Exactly. And, you know, you, you can't do the hoof or the squeal. You're right. You, that, know? you know what? That, that is – you know, people used to tell me – Sometimes the squeal is I, real important. 
I used to tell patients this all the time. One of the things I can't do is I can't, this is what I used to say, I can't sign a death certificate oh, wow. as, a, as a PA. By the way, they changed the law. I, I can now. Okay, when so I was you working, si- will you sign my death certificate? When it happens, hopefully 30 years It's from not now. going to happen. I would be happy okay. to. The thing I learned when I was working as a hospitalist was that, the, you know what the one thing they tell you don't ever put down as number one diagnosis on a death certificate? What's that? Cardiac arrest. Oh, okay. Because everyone, yeah, yeah, everyone cardiac arrest. that's cardiac arrest. You want to go with Dave? I was just about to say I've been sitting here with my hand on the active buzzer. Dave, am I doing a good job yet? Yeah. Yeah, you're doing a good job. Well, but see. I I have learned two things in the last week. What's that? Okay, two very important things. Number one, heart surgery is no big deal. Oh, yeah, right. Good for you. Honestly, I was so stressed, and they do most of it while I'm asleep. Well, I I hope so. so. In fact, they they do all of it while I was asleep. What was your your recovery hasn't been so bad. What was your first Second, thought waking up? What, what was what came to you when you woke up? Apparently, I was intubated, and I, which means I had the breathing tube down me and down my throat, and I was trying to tell them in hand gestures, "Take that thing out." Well, heck yeah, heck I, yeah. I, was, I said, "Now, now go, go." But of course, there's no words coming out. So, so what they had to do was there's a plastic tube, literally, with a little balloon on the end. And they yeah. put that into your trachea and inflate the balloon so they can control your breathing. And that's in there, the whole surgery. And then after the surgery, before you wake up and before your lungs start to function well, they keep it in. So were you fully conscious eventually with the tube in? Do you remember having it in? No. No, no, no. That's great. My wife had to tell me that she witnessed me trying to tell them to take the tube out. Take it out! So, so I would, yeah, and I would not have, honestly, I wouldn't have remembered it. Yeah. Your Dave, voice, you know, your voice is not hoarse. I mean, I, my experience had been, has been, that uh, you come out with a, a tube in you for, I guess it was yeah. in probably, what, 24 hours? And you come out hoarse, but you sound great. Dave, how how long from the time they they you went sleepy by to the time you were awake and knew, uh, were aware of what's going on? I, I think it was four hours. Really? I think it was a four hour operation. But what's, what's your first memory? One, what's that? What's your first memory after waking up? First memory? You know, I don't know. You know, you're you're yeah. gradually coming out of it. Yeah. Can I have something and, to eat? And it's not. It's not like you see on TV where somebody, they open their eyes and they want a pizza, pizza. Yeah. You know, it's it's a gradual thing. Well, let me ask you another question because I think people don't really know. You're not hurting from where they put the bypasses in. So, in other words, where they opened up your aorta and sutured the graft in and then opened up the coronary artery and sutured it in, that's painless. Um, you can get some inflammation around the heart. That's called pericarditis, and that could hurt. But really, what hurts is the broken bone, right? I mean, it's like you've got a broken arm, yeah. except it's in the middle of your chest. Amen. Yeah, the breathing is an issue. You know, I've got this little toy they gave me. Yeah. With, you know, with a little ball in it. 
Yeah, that's the incentive spirometer. I'm supposed to breathe in, and and the ball will go up. And I'm not. I'll tell you what. I'm never going to get scoopied out. Yes, you are. Surprised with this thing. Did you read my? Do you remember my text? The first ones I sent you. What's that? I said, hold the pillow. Yeah. Cough. Yeah. Use the incentive spirometer. Yeah. Deep breath. Repeat, yep. <laughs> because that's really what's going to get you out of the hospital. Um, what happens is that when they open your chest, the lungs are completely controlled uh, by the right. ventilator. And so they're not going to be able to expand all the way. And then when they sew you up after they do the stuff to your heart, the lungs are partially collapsed at the periphery, at the outside. So the whole point of, of what your initial recovery is, is getting those lungs in shape expanding. Um, how much pain are you in from that sternum? Um, I always tell the nurses it's seven or eight. Oh, wow. You know, on a scale to 10. Um, in the first days, honestly, was probably a nine or 10. Um, Wait, what are you taking for were, pain? They were, they were what? I'm sorry. I'm interrupting you because I'm so excited. It's okay. What are you taking they for pain? They were pa- reaching for the oxycodone. Oh, okay. Um, but now I'm now on, I'm just on Tylenol. Okay. Have they given you any Toradol? Have you heard of that? I don't, I don't think so. Yes, yeah, so a Toradol. Toradol for? What I tell everybody about Toradol, which I think is, in fact, I give it in my office uh, for people who have chronic pain. It's really great. It's like an intravenous Advil. I mean, it's a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory because a lot of your, there's two types of, of pain sensation or two types of, of pain. And the first is at the site of the injury where you have the inflammation going on. And the second is in the brain. So Tylenol and um, oxycodone or opiates, they work in the brain. And they make your brain right. not sense the pain. But what Toradol does is it, it's, it prevents the production of those little vicious humors that irritate your nerves. So, I mean, I, I think it's great. I am not going to let... Uh, anybody know that I'm recommending it for you because I'm not your doctor. But I'm just saying what what people who have had surgery benefit from and what I give. Do you know what I learned about Toradol? What's Do that? you know what it works great on? And it's one of the most painful things that you can see someone suffering from. With a hangnail? It, it works great. <laughs> it works great on kidney stones. Oh, yeah. Someone that's passing the stone. Have you stone? A kidney stone? No, but I used to work in yeah. the e- ER, and I yeah. could tell someone before they even told me what was wrong because yeah. they walk in, uh, yeah. and they can't sit yeah. still. It's very painful. Well, Dave, is the pain getting better in, over time, and does the coughing really hurt in, in the sternum? No, I've I've noticed that I'm getting extra um, extra coughing, but I didn't have any coughing the first two days. Okay, and you're um, and you're clutching and, that big pillow across your chest, right? Yeah, I got a hard shaped pillow. You know, he's talking awfully good, no, breathing good. Listen, I think. Uh, uh, because the surgery wasn't on the pump, and we talked about that right. for two weeks. I think you're actually smarter now. What do you think? <laughs> I think <laughs> the I think the anesthetic <laughs> sort of cleared out the cobwebs. I mean, you know, you're not stumbling. You're not uh, you're not ranting and raving like I usually do. <laughs> well, listen. The the other thing is. How's the, how's the experience 
in the hospital? I mean, in terms of the care, the people coming in and taking care of you, what's that like? Very good. Very good. I have have nothing but great things. I was in ICU for two days, and you think of ICU as this sad place, you know, where people, everybody is really, really sick. Yeah. And everybody's down, and it's dark. And that's not really what it is. Uh-huh. You know, the, the the level of care in the ICU at Big Wake is just exceptional. Yeah. I, I always put, enjoyed working there. It was a tremendous yeah. place. Tremendous they place. Put me on the, they put me on the regular floor, and it, it just continued. They seem to be obsessed with me walking. Yeah, that's really important. Into this thing. And what was it like your first walk? Were you unsteady? Were you? Uh, oh yeah, unsteady. Did, who walked unsteady. with you? Who took you for I, a walk? I wasn't steady before this thing. <laughs> um, uh, one of the things I really was. One of the things I used I to see diabetic neuropathy, and I, yeah. I wobble a little bit. Was that with the girls up here think that I get? They're really worried when they see me topple. They're you know start to fall over. I think it's not a big deal. Did they have a harness around you to hold you up? No, no. They just have nurses around me. Oh, so you had like like one lady on each arm as you were? I got two I, two nurses, one patient. That's fantastic. And a walker. So they haven't had a physical therapist in, just they're just walking you with the nursing crew. They had OT. And I, I'm telling you right now that every group that could have visited me, visited me, except maybe somebody who was an expert on, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're allergic. You uh, know what I mean? Yeah, allergy. I mean, I had OTPT. I had a social worker come in and ask me straight to my face, do I feel safe at home? Um, which I, I can understand now. them asking, but I feel safe at home, you know. Wow. How's the food? That's what everybody always says. Food? You know, the food's all right. I keep dropping it on my incision. Ooh. <laughs> hey, are they, are, here's a question. Are they using yeah. your Dexcom, your continuous meter? The what? The diabetes meter, your uh, uh, Dexcom. Yeah, they're, or, running, they're running continuous. Oh, they're still, they're, they're pricking your and, finger. And yes, they're having to supplement with, um, with shots. How are your sugars? Sugars are good. <laughs> yeah. 120, 120, and then I started eating, and it got to 270. And What'd you eat? They they said, well, we're going to give you six units. And I politely said, that's not going to do it. <laughs> it's just not going to do it. And they did their thing, and it wasn't didn't change anything, you know. Well, are they giving you the no-no diet, or are they giving you the yes-yes diet? Uh, you know, hospital food being what it is, um, institutional food being what it is, I'm not eating a lot. Yeah, but it's the uh, carbs. I mean, why would your sugar skyrocket so there's more rice. There's more rice on my plate than I, I would like. No biscuit? No, no biscuit. No biscuit. They haven't given but you... this morning, it was sausage and egg. That's pretty good. That's pretty, yeah. very good, very good. All right. Well, um, what if you were to give any advice to someone who's got this coming up? 
What would yeah. you say? I hope, first of all, don't fear it because it's not it's not going to get you pitch anywhere to be afraid of it. The 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 entire process was as pain free as they could make it. Yeah. Um, it's you know the and the recovery and whatever. It's just not a big deal. Um, I think if I had broken my leg, if I had had a you know compound fracture, or if I'd had the flu, it would have been worse. That's great. Would have felt worse. This is this is no big deal. Well, listen, we hit you know? the uh, we hit the commercial time. Don't hang up. Yeah, we're going to go to a okay. commercial and then we're going to get back to you. All right. You know the reason I asked him, I, or may even made comment about he's talking well and everything. When the virus first hit, if you remember, that's uh, real quick. State tr- treasurer Dale Falwell was one of the first known names around here that got COVID nineteen, mm-hmm. and I did the first interview with him when they got released him from the hospital and he went back to work. And I'm telling you, he couldn't get two sentences out. Yeah. Um, so it makes it very, very He's tough. He's doing great. He is. We're going to come back on uh, Heart Health Radio with Dave Alexander. This is the Heart Health Radio Network. Get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation. Is this where we come in? Why Why are they playing shame and I get to talk? No, I, no. I understand that. I, I guess the shame part is going to be... It's a how, shame Dave Alexander's not here in yeah, this chair. But I think... It, go ahead. Are you on, Dave? Just a shame. Yeah, give us... The, the shame, I think, is how they're changing the rules and making things confusing. Oh. Hey, I don't know if, Dave, as you hear now, they're going to go to only three feet in elementary school in terms yeah. of social distancing. And so That's I think... Learn something. Yeah, I think what's happening is that everybody's so confused that it's going to make a big difference. And I think the other shame is the big deal they made over AstraZeneca not being safe because of blood clots, when in reality, uh, they just now uh, did looked at the data, and now they say it's safe again. So I think this is one of the things that's so confusing. Isn't it one of the things they said that the the efficacy, the work, the term that's used yeah. to say how good it works, and it is extremely high? Yeah. It's a great vaccine. For any of them. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think when you're hearing one is 82 percent and one is 96 percent, you want the 82, you know, you want the 96 before you get the 82, even though when you look at all the data – the one that was 82%, what they meant was nobody got COVID. But if you look at those, nobody died from COVID and hardly anybody got hospitalized. Whereas the other one was 92%. Nobody got even an asymptomatic COVID, but some people still died. I, you know, that's the problem. Let's get back to Dave. When do they say you're going home? Well, I keep pushing for today. That's well, not going to happen. That's not going to happen. It's going to be maybe, maybe tomorrow. Really? Are you and kidding me? I, That's awesome. Are you kidding me? When I say maybe tomorrow, they honestly, they tell you maybe tomorrow, that means Monday. Yeah. What about your oxygen levels? Are you off supplemental O2? You know, it's funny. We've been battling that today. I keep telling the nurses, just knock me totally off it. I'm <laughs> down to three, whatever that means. Okay. okay. And and my, and my, uh, Levels are ninety five percent. 
Okay, but did they do no. this? Did they check your level on no oxygen? I have no idea. Yeah, so what... I have no idea. They would have to do that while I was just like... Yeah, no. What they do while you're fully awake, and this is what I do, because a lot of people come out of the hospital on oxygen when they've had pneumonia. And so they're sitting yeah. in my office, and I say, okay, let's check it when you're sitting there on the oxygen, and it's 96%. Then I make them get up, and I walk up and down the hallway, and if it stays up while they're on oxygen, then I put them back in the room, take it off, and see what it is sitting when they're off, and it's 94%. Then I get them up and walking, and if it drops below 90%, we keep the oxygen going. So one of the things that you're going to want to be is off oxygen, because I don't... They probably, you know, you were, your lungs were good. They're probably not going to want to send you home on oxygen. No, they don't. Yeah. They don't. Yeah. They're weaning me off it. Yeah. And I, I want them to wean me off it faster because yeah. I know that. Yeah. That's the deal. And they uh, want me to walk four times a day. So. Well, you know, you can you can do more. I mean, you can walk whenever you you know tell them that you want to walk. One of the one of the problems might be they don't have to not have enough personnel. To have you walk more often, but you know uh, it's just fantastic to hear your voice. Um, Melissa, his his better half, and I have been chatting, and I've got some pictures that obviously we can't show over the radio, but I think they're going to be in the all time Hall of Fame in terms of of Dave because I don't think you were fully awake when she took some of them, <laughs> and you got your thumbs up, your eyes open. And there's yeah. no, I thought there'd be a look of terror and there's not. I mean, you're just real comfortable sitting back, enjoying the show. Well, Dave, I think you should understand I am warming the chair and that's all okay. I'm doing. Thank but, you. But you're not coming Thank back. You, the weatherman. Yeah. <laughs> the weatherman. If you, if you want to know what the weather is, Dave, look out the window. Yeah. Really. yeah. I'm, just saying, I'm just saying, Ted Baxter always worried about Gordy, the weatherman filling his chair. I'm just saying, you know, I'll be back next week. Uh, That's great. That's great. You yeah. only get to do oh, this one week. Well, oh, we'll have a we'll have a um, a transition. A, trans- no, a transition. Dave, Dave does fine, and I'm I'm just holding things up here. The second thing I learned is that Golden Girls is a really wonderful. Movie. Oh my God! <laughs> how many TV stations? How many TV stations they have? Excellent. Yeah. Uh, well, we're we're going to have to run. We got news coming up here, and yeah. Uh, I yeah. And I'll be. Uh, I'm trying to come visit, but they still have those rules. Yeah. Uh, only one visitor a day. Yeah. David, yeah. get get well quick, okay? Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, Dave. Take take care. Now back to heart health. Have a question for Doctor Weefall? Call nine one nine eight six zero nine seven eight three. And we are back. I'm Steve O'Brien. Dr. Franklin Refold is here. And we've got somebody special on the phone, as always. Our weekly Rose is Rose here. You're Joseph Rose. Um, and uh, I just heard that Dave is out. Yep. So, um, we'll yeah, we had a good conversation with him. To him. Yeah, he did great. What good. is going on with you? Nothing much today. I'm just watching the numbers fall and fall and so fall. So are they still good. falling in North good. Carolina? Because I, I saw something where we're listed as numbers are are high but maybe going down. I mean, how would you characterize us compared to, say, other states in the country? 
our numbers are definitely we are higher, but um, you know it's it's hard. You always have to think about rates. This is something I've been talking about with people all through the pandemic mm-hmm. because we're the ninth largest state. So you know by rights we should have the ninth largest caseload, right? If mm-hmm. all things being equal, so um, our rates are dropping. So we're you know our te- we're testing less than five percent positive. That's the next thing I wanted to ask you, Rose. What is our percent positive doing now? It's Pretty far down, and you know how they do that county by county uh, map. You know the red, right. red where all those counties well, yeah. turned red. Right. Um, now we're down to only one red county. Wow! Really? Yeah, I know. that was, was up, exciting. Rose. Wasn't that up like 70, 80 at one point? Oh no, no, it was like ninety plus counties were either red or orange, and now we're down to one red county. Hmm. So it's a really welcome development. The only thing, and of course, uh, as you all have gotten to know I, I can't ever say anything without a qualifier. Um, so the, the, those variants that are out there, they're a little scary. Um, it turns out that the variants in the UK and the variants from South Africa are relatively, um, the vaccine will protect you pretty well, that Brazilian variant is a little scarier. So uh, I think that's part of the reason why they're kind of holding off on saying, hey, let's just let it all go. Um, But, you know, I know for us, we're going to have friends over tonight and we're going to sit out by our fire. And, uh, you know, we built a little fire pit outside and we're starting to kind of like socialize a little bit. Well, listen, I want to get your take on masks after you've had the vaccine. What what are the latest recommendations? And actually, I want your personal opinion, too. Well, um, so uh, as, as I mentioned last week, I was uh, working at, at a vaccine um, clinic, a drive-through vaccine clinic, and I was doing the patient teaching. And so I, I boned up on the research and several of the companies are doing post-release research on justice questions. Okay. So the answer is not quite out there. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's the it's the it's the J and J where they found that transmission from even if you've been vaccinated, transmission from one person to the other, you can you the the the, the amount that you would transmit to somebody else. So even if you're not going to get sick from the virus, you kind of cough cough into the air the amount of virus that you're coughing out is low enough that it's not um, going to make others sick. But we don't know that about all of the vaccines. And they, that is a topic that is being actively researched right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm just playing it safe. Like, I, you know, now that I've, I've got one vaccine on board, I'm not so worried about acquiring COVID. So I'm no longer double masking, but I'm still wearing a mask when I'm out in public. Um, you know, it's just trying to navigate that middle space. And that's what the CDC says. They say when you're with people and you're not sure if they've had a vaccine, you know, the courteous thing to do would be to mask up until we have better answers. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I never double mask. I mean, I, is there any data that showed that double masking was better than single masking? Fal- Fauci says yes. Yeah, but, you know, this is we have every now and then the Fauci follies. And mm-hmm. let me just say this. 
Last year, he said, masks don't work. And then he made everybody put a mask on. And they asked him why, and then he said, well, I lied. And we should have worn masks, but I didn't want you to take masks from the healthcare workers, even though I'm wearing a homemade cloth mask. I mean, mm-hmm. he could have said that. And then there was double mask. I mean, are we headed toward triple masks? I mean, I don't know. No, no. And, well, but I think see, the double mask thing came from the fact that the British variant, which is now about 25% of the cases in the U.S., really, that that one is far more transmissible. So, in other words, like, it makes it's it's more it's more probable that people will get sick and they're not exactly sure is that is that because the virus is sort of takes better and makes you sick kind of more yeah. efficiently or if it replicates more yeah. and so when you cough into the room there's more virus out there but well, it's going down you know is that yeah. that british that british one is more transmissible yeah. but i it's, thought it's going guy... down in britain still you know what france is a france is a mess what's that the British strategy is that so these these vaccines are so effective that the British strategy has been to give as many people as possible the first dose right. because that suppresses that that suppresses illness and suppresses transmission yeah. enough that they can that they can get more doses they can get more people with that first dose so something like half their population has already got one dose on yeah. board i actually think that'd be a good idea and you know there's intuitive science and then there's medicine and then there's the you know uh um medicine that they say is evidence-based and i think in this case you've got to go with a, a combo absolutely you know, i totally the, agree the intuitive thing i think the british were right mm-hmm. they said well wait a minute the first dose is 85% effective in, in reducing transmission and reducing um, infection. And the second dose makes it up to 94. Well, why don't we give everybody the 85% um, f- efficacy by giving everybody one dose? And, you know, what did Fauci say? That's not scientific. Well, you know, yeah. but now yeah. the, the other thing that, that he said or the guy from the CDC said, one of the two said, if one mask works – don't you think two masks would work even better? Well, I just don't think it makes sense. I think sense. 17 of them would work awesome, yeah. too. But, you know, yeah, another, you have to draw Another line. place that's really dropping, I'm looking at on, on the computer right now, is Israel. Um, Rose, yeah. do you know much about what they did in Israel that's so, that's so awesome? Yes. So there's a couple things that, uh, that they – well, one, it's a very small population. It's only about five and a half, six million people. So they – and it's all very concentrated. So it was easier to get – to the sort of the last mile people, mm-hmm. right? The other thing they did was, I think they made a contract early, so I think they all got Moderna, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, they have a nationalized healthcare system where it's six HMOs that basically everyone belongs to one of the six HMOs. Mm-hmm. And so these folks were able to track. And so if you were like, if you haven't gotten your vaccine, you started getting texts like, Get your vaccine. Get your vaccine. Here's where you can get your vaccine. So they made it very, very accessible, and they made it hard to forget. And um, and then part of because they've got these databases of folks, they were able to target the most vulnerable people first. So they were able to get the old folks and the folks in the you know with immune problems because they could see that in their patient records and their electronic health records, yeah. and they could get the folks with um, you know, who are living in congregate settings or who are living in large 
multi-generational households, they could get to them first. So it was a combination of what they had, uh, geography, and just incredible organization. Yeah, that's what I think that's what really helped Taiwan. Well, listen, it's been fantastic hearing from you again. And yes, uh, listen, one of the things that I want to shout out is, is how much you've been volunteering and getting out there and really helping to get this uh, vaccine program working. I'm really, really impressed. Well, you know, impressed. It's, a, it's the biggest event of the century. you got to be part. Well, you're fantastic, and we really appreciate what you do. Well, thank you, too, and thanks so much for giving me the chance to chat with you. Well, listen, you're, you're, I think a lot of people say, I, you know, I'll, I'll suffer through WeFall to get to Rose Hoban. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Rose, really nice meeting you, and best of luck, and continue your great, great work. Thanks, and all the best to Dave. Yes. Okay. Now, by the way, yes. this is <laughs> – you and I were talking during the break about uh-huh. the fact that I love going on cruises. Yeah. Guess what? One of the countries that's going to open up to cruise ships first. What? Israel. Well, you know what? Mazel tov. Uh, yeah, really? We're going to go to Israel and go on a cruise. You know, listen, I'd love to go to Israel. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Have you been? Never, Never. have. Would like to very, very much. We got some folks waiting on the phone. We thank you all for listening to Heart Health Radio. I'm Steve O'Brien. Let us go to the phone. And Keith from Raleigh, thank you for holding on. Good afternoon. Hey. Uh, hey, Doc, I have a question for you here. Sure. Uh, this revolves around so many questions I asked you today, yesterday, and last week. This is COVID, uh, COVID-19. Yeah. Hey, I, I hear here. Oh, that uh, Dr. Mark Siegel. He on W. Uh, uh, he he's on Fox News quite frequently. Yeah, I know he, him. And I don't know. Uh, he seems like he has great credentials. Uh, and the thing is that he said uh, there's a there's a drug out there, really a pill. It's called. Uh, I'm not phonetically uh, correct, so please me. Uh, your associate can help us spell. It's M-O-L-N-U-P-I-R-A-U-R. And it's sort of like your doctor can prescribe a Tamifil. He can prescribe this pill. And, and uh, Dr. Mark Siegel uh, says this is, a, uh, this is a pill that stops that drug dead in its tracks. What do you know about it? Because I looked it up. <laughs> Not much info. Yeah, I, I, I haven't heard this. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I'm looking at it right now, and I, I really don't know. Um, repeat that spelling again, because I can't quite get M- it. M-O-L-N, like a Nancy, U-P-I-R-A-U-I-L. And Mark Siegel said this is a... This is a drug, and he showed the he showed the pills there on TV. He says this is a this stops this uh, uh, COVID nineteen uh, uh, where it starts. Except that uh, money went someplace else, and either you know this is political. But the thing is, uh, pharmaceutical companies could not produce it, so therefore they. Uh, they currently have all these, all all this medication out here. Okay. But I, I, you know, forgive me, Mark uh, Segal. You know, he he's director of uh, 
uh, New York Medical Center, uh, and uh, he's a pretty smart guy. Don't oh, he's think? a great guy. Okay, listen, now when I, you know, my hearing is bad. I have hearing loss. But when I, when you spelled it out again, okay, so Emory University has a drug development company that is nonprofit. And apparently they've been working on creating huge numbers of compounds for antivirals because, you know, we have antibiotics against bacteria. We really don't have a whole lot of antivirals. So off the shelf, they had this drug called molupiravir. Okay, and all that you know, it's interesting. All that if you see a drug that's got the ending V I R, remdesivir, the reason why it's V I R is viral. Well, when they gave it to patients who had COVID nineteen, they were unable to detect the virus in their bloodstream, and that's the first medication that's done that. So remdesivir <laughs> doesn't do that; it reduces the viral load. So this is what Dr. Siegel is publicizing, and I think Emory has gotten publicizing it. And, you know, one of the things I think that's coming out of this horrible situation we've been in for over a year is that the science has really been jacked up, and we're going to get so much benefit out of this and, and because of the research that's going to spill over. And we may have these medicines that if we get something like COVID again, we're going to have hey, it in our hip. Forgive me. For yeah. interrupting. I'm, yeah, that's okay. I'm a very rude person. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Siegel says, yeah, anybody that can prescribe Tamiflu can't prescribe this medication. And it's a pill, and you take it, and he says, it's stopped. He says, yeah, they, yeah. Had it. they had it in Europe for years, except um, for political reasons. It wasn't introduced into the United States. If I went to a doctor and asked for that, would they provide it for me? No. And the reason is, even even if there's a medicine that is being investigated, in order to get it while it's being investigated, it, it's called compassionate use. And I, I suspect, you know, you can make the argument that if you are at high risk and you are going downhill, there's compassionate use. Um, but no, and I, what I, I guess what I'm trying to say about this medication is if it does work, I think it is in the future something that may be used in other coronavirus situations, but also they have all these drugs on the shelf, and then boom, they pull them off. The problem is getting it approved by the FDA, right. and I think what we've learned is that we've got to be more uh, speedy when it comes to getting things approved. Would you recommend that to a patient? If uh, Would I recommend this medication right now to a patient? Uh, no, because it's not been thoroughly studied. But what I'm saying is they've got to be able to do the, the studies more rapidly. And I think, you know, the vaccine uh, situation with COVID has showed us that we can do this. I mean, vaccines just take five years. Right. And to be approved. And now we've got five, six going to be approved within a year. And we'll talk more about that because I want to talk about okay, what my so patients are well, saying. Thing is, I just was wondering if if, uh, if Dr. Mark Siegel was incorrect when he said this is a, uh, this, this drug will uh, knock the flu right out of the market, except it's been held back in Europe and uh, 
your in, your input would be, oh, I need more input on this. Yeah, I don't know about that, but I'll look up the political implications. I haven't. Okay. I usually see Mark, but I haven't, Doctor Siegel. I haven't picked him up. I haven't watched him in about a week. Oh, he's um, on WBTF. I, yeah. Okay. Thanks a bunch. Hey. Thanks for calling. Keith, thank you so much for calling. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and do some shout-outs and some other things that we've been wanting to talk about. We've had so much interesting stuff, haven't gotten a, a chance to. This is the Heart Health Radio Network, and you can listen to Heart Health Radio on Apple Podcasts or at hearthealthradio.com. Well, you know you make me want to so kick my heels up and down. I'm Steve O'Brien. I'm with Franklin, Dr. Franklin Weefald, and this is Heart Health Radio. And the the Isley Brothers just get me going. I'm yeah. Just telling well, you. we're gonna we're gonna shout out a patient of mine who has been to Helen back. Um, oh, she man. developed a flesh eating bacteria about 18 months ago, out of the blue, and it ate right through the skin the fat and the muscle layer of the left side of her chest. Are we talking but, about the, the thing that they yeah. talk about, necrotizing? Yeah, oh. yeah necrotizing fasciitis. And wow. necroti- and it just oh, wiped it. I got a picture where this, it's like somebody literally cut a hole down to the rib cage. Now, the good news is we did something really spectacular. Um, they kept putting off you know, her skin flap uh, transplant because they didn't feel – that she would um, keep the graft because she was so malnourished and it really wiped her out. So most of the side of it had healed. So what you had was the skin and a fold going right down, but you could see the covering of the chest wall. A new technique developed at Johns Hopkins, you harvest the skin from a healthy area, you send it to Utah, and they make stem cells out of it into Mm. a stem cell paste. Wow. Then they send it back, and you put little dots all over of stem cells and cover it with an occlusive uh, plastic dressing. And about two weeks later, you take that off, and the skin has started to grow in little dots all over. And so every couple of days, you put a, a moisturizing cloth on it. And I'm telling you, in six weeks, it's skin. Mm. I saw it yesterday. Wow. It's covered with skin. Now, she's having some trouble. She's got another wound. She fell, (laughs) broke her hip. But she's on the road to recovery. And I'm telling you, if there's anybody that I know who is brave and has toughed out a horrible situation, uh, it's her. Mm. And uh, Billy Norris, her husband, has been her rock of Gibraltar. And I just want to shout out Pam and shout out Billy and and tell them how uh, wonderful I think they are. And of course, uh, we already mentioned Dave and and do you think he's being optimistic saying he's going home tomorrow? Uh, no, they probably mentioned to him that uh, and you know again since he talked about this, I don't feel like I can I can have to hold back. Right. Three liters of O2 nasal cannula it may mean a couple more days because see the whole point is you got to expand. Those lung uh, passages so that the air can move in and out and you won't get mucus buildup and you won't get an infection. But you asked the operative question. Yeah. You asked the perfect. What's your oxygen level without right. the oxygen? And they haven't on. measured it. And, right. and if, it's, if it's normal at rest, you got to make sure it's normal 
when you walk. I don't listen. I want to talk about you and your career. Oh, geez. but I don't think we have enough time right now. Well, we got another hour. Yeah, that's what I'm program. saying. We'll do it in the next hour. There is one thing that I wanted to uh, bring up today that we haven't gotten to. And the big worry now is that the rates of advanced cancers are going up. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about advanced cancers. And I think one of the things we've talked about for the last year is that we cut off right in the beginning uh, what they call routine procedures and routine screening exams. So I, I couldn't get a colonoscopy on a patient to save my life. And I couldn't get uh, manograms. And so now what they're seeing is instead of stage one colon cancer, you're you're getting stage four. Mm-hmm. And instead of stage one breast cancer, you're getting stage two, three, and four. And, you know, these screening techniques have been so wonderful, but there was a six-month period where we couldn't get them. And if anyone out there is still hesitant to go in and get their screening procedure, I think the risk of missing out something that's curable by picking it up on a screening procedure is far more important than the worry that somehow you're going to pick up COVID by being in an area in a hospital or an outpatient center where you can get these tests. How much did it hurt? Um, did it affect? Uh, hurt's not a good word. Your practice in people with congestive heart failure oh and God. AFib and, and yeah. coronary artery disease and just not coming and see, in. See, not only were they afraid to come to my office, even though we've had no transmission in the last year detectable to our office. Amen. We're very careful. But not only were they afraid to come to our office, afraid to go to the hospital. And um, so you've had heart attacks sitting at home. You've had people filling up with fluid sitting at home. And you know what else is, was, was missed is going over the medications on a routine basis. Oh, wait a minute. You're missing this. Or, no, this is when we stopped you know, two months ago and you never threw it away. That's essential. And I've, my patients have been sicker for the most part. The people with heart failure have come in with five, six-pound weight gain. And luckily, we've been able to do things in the office to prevent them having to go in the hospital. I certainly hope they're not sitting going, well, We're doc, still about, Dr. Weefall's not going to see me, so you know what? I can sneak a cigarette because yeah. well, he's we, not going to know We it. were 50% capacity last April, last May. We're about 80% now. And so we're almost back to where we are. Okay, so that's good. But, folks, now that we're getting things a little bit better and the numbers are going down, remember that mammogram and remember that screening test, that colonoscopy that you should be getting. It is coming up on 1 o'clock. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. Hello, everybody. I'm Steve O'Brien. I'm sitting in for Dave Alexander, and it has been fun for the first hour. The first hour was flew. fun. Let's see what happens the second hour. It flew by. You yeah. are, of course, welcome, as always, to join us at yeah. area code 919-860-9783 if there is something on your mind. And you're not interrupting. Um, you know, we, we have things to gab about, um, but it's always, yeah, it's always great 
to take a question because I think um, the questions we have are really where a lot of patients learn and they say, wow, that's a great question. So don't hesitate to call in any time. And, uh, and there's no to, such thing as a dumb question. If uh, you, except it, the it, one you don't ask. That's exactly yeah. – well, isn't that the truth? I, well, I've done that to patients. So mm-hmm. I said there's no such thing as a dumb question and then they ask me a question I go, that's a dumb question. You <laughs> also – see, you brought up an interesting point right before the break because it happens to me too yeah. in that um, patients will come in with their list of medicines. Yeah. Oh, Bill, I took you off that one three months ago. That's why we started this one here. Well, let me tell you, the list is not as good as the pill bottle mm-hmm. because if you bring your pill bottles in and I'm telling you, grab them and throw them in a bag and take them to your visit every time and then make your doctor or your physician's assistant look at the bottles and compare them with the list. I mean, you won't believe how many times we're missing one or we've got one that uh, you're not supposed to be taking anymore. And the list is often not updated. The other thing is, here's this list, here's this bottle of pills, and I look at it, and it's once a day, and it was filled January 20th. Right. Or or they have one bottle that says metoprolol and another bottle that says metoprolol, and it's the same medication, and they're taking both when they're only supposed to be taking one. Or I thought, you know where I thought you were going to go with that? One of them says metoprolol. The other one says Toprol XL. Right. One says tomato. Right. And the other says tomato. Right. All right. We're going to go to the phones, and we thank you so much for listening to uh, Heart Health Radio. And let's say hello to Norma Jean in Raleigh. Hello, Norma Jean. Hi there. How are you doing? Doing great. Did you know Marilyn Monroe's real name was Norma Jean? I'm sure she knows that. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Remember that? Happy birthday. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was a big scandal. Um, it was Madison Square Garden, mm-hmm. and they had to glue her dress on. They really did. And so she sings happy birthday to, to JFK in the most sultry way. Oh, absolutely. And then he gets up and says, hey, this is the highlight of my presidency. I've been sung happy birthday in such a wholesome manner. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Norma Jean, what's happening? Um, I got in a little bit late on your conversation about Tylenol. Yeah. And what was the other brand that you named okay so what we were talking about is how medicines for pain work okay so you can either have a medicine that works at the site of the pain so let's just say you have a sore wrist uh your dog uh yanked you uh when you were um walking him or her and you have a sore wrist so what's going on in that wrist is there's tissue injury and you've got the immune cells going in there trying to heal it and trying to, um, you know, uh, start the healing process. And you've got inflammation. And those are chemicals that irritate the nerve endings. So that is signaling the nerves that you've got inflammation. The nerves are sending it to the brain where your brain is perceiving the pain. So there are two types of medications to control pain. One is to eliminate the inflammation or reduce it so the nerve endings aren't firing up to the brain. And the other way is to suppress the brain sensation 
or um, awareness of pain. So the medicines at the site are the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications and steroids. And they work on the immune cells to reduce those little signals, cytokines and, and other things that are stimulating the nerve. So we talked about a medication that's given either intramuscularly or intravenously. It's great for postoperative pain or also great you can give in the office as long as you're not allergic to it. I do it all the time. And you give it in the vein or you can give them an intramuscular injection. And it's really effective. Now, I don't use the word powerful because that can scare you. And you might think, wow, this medication's you know really strong. It's called potent. So what does that mean? It means it really works well, especially intravenously. And it cuts off the signals that are irritating the nerves at the site of the pain. It doesn't affect the brain. Now, what are the medications that affect uh, the peripheral uh, manifestations of pain? That's Tylen- I mean, that's Advil, Aleve, um, Prednisone, all those medications that you can um, give orally. There's also – have you ever heard of diclofenac gel? Yep. So what that is is a, is a topical non-steroidal that you can rub on the area of pain. And believe it or not, it's absorbed to the skin and goes straight to work on that area and prevents the inflammation from um, irritating the nerve. So Tylenol and morphine <coughs> and tramadol, those are uh, types of medications that work in the brain and um, prevent the brain from sensing that there's a lot of pain. Could you spell that, tramadol? Yeah, no, tramadol, it's toradol, T-O-R-A-D as in dog, O-L. And it is fantastic at reducing pain. What? Now, you, this is some caveats, okay? Before you ask your doctor, you can't be allergic to aspirin and take this medication, just like you can't be allergic to um, uh, ibuprofen. You can't be allergic to aspirin to take ibuprofen and, and vice versa. You can only take it intravenously four days in a row um, because there is a buildup that could possibly hurt your kidney if you take too much of it. So one dose is fine. Um, the other thing is orally it doesn't work as well. That's as what I was just way. about to ask you. So that. you can take oral Toradol. The, uh, I'm sorry, the, the generic name is Ketorolac. And it, I, I don't know, I've taken both and the oral Ketorolac doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It's 10 milligrams four times a day. And I just don't think that it works. Now, it may work for some of the other people, but you've also got to be careful. You can't take that very long. Over the counter? No, it's prescription. prescription. It's big time. It's big time. So over the counter, I'm going to get to something that I think is real important. They've done a study, Percocet. And what is that? That is oxycodone and Tylenol mixed together. And so you have two areas of the brain, the opiate receptor and and the area of the brain that responds to Tylenol. But then that dentist did a study because there's a lot of pain with dentistry. Yeah. And they did 400 milligrams of ibuprofen with uh, 1,000 milligrams of Tylenol or acetaminophen. Okay. Blinded. See, I've been on a leave for a long, yeah. long time. Okay, and yeah. And I had a bleeding issue. Yeah, that can be it. And I was taken off of that and put on Tylenol. And for my opinion, it's a good suppository because it hasn't helped me otherwise. Yeah, sure. And you can actually uh, give um, some of the non-steroidal by uh, suppository as well. Uh, it's, I think it's time to talk to your doctor about you know finding some pain medications that you can take. 
Did you have a bleeding ulcer when you took the uh, leave? Uh, no, sir. It was uh, below the waist and behind. Oh, so it was the colon. Yes, sir. And did they take the polyp out of it, or how did they fix it? They never did. They never could find the bleeding. Did they do a colonoscopy? Yes, they did. And did they do the pill thing where you swallow a video no. cam? No. I'm sorry? No, sir. Okay. So the, finding the source of bleeding might be important because then if they find the source of bleeding and correct it, you might be able to go back. And this is one of the other things about non anti-inflammatory medications. They can make your platelets not clump as well to prevent bleeding. And so you have to be very careful of that. You know, one of the things that we should probably mention, too, yeah. you mentioned about non- non-steroidals. Yeah. And a few years ago, one of the problems with non-steroidals is, as you're saying, yeah. it, they can upset your stomach. Right, because well, they, they cause the, the medication, I mean, the medication, the 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 Oh, what sort of the chemicals that right. help prevent ulceration to go down in, in, in levels and it can cause a ulcer to develop. So a few years ago, they came up with these medicines that are anti-inflammatory but supposedly easier on this, the stomach. And it turned out that they were, were good, but you could still get an ulcer. So these are Celebrex. Uh, the best one, Vioxx. Did you ever take Vioxx? Oh, I thought Vioxx was a. I'm sorry. I'm if I had to, a headache, I'm going to go out on a limb now. Yeah. I think Vioxx was taken off the market way too too soon. Well, I don't I think it should. Yeah, I don't think it should ever been taken off the market. No. And we'll we'll talk more about that. Celebrex, Vioxx, and Meloxicam. Right. and they're great. And and so what you can also do uh, is take medications to prevent these uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents from causing um, uh, a, an ulcer right. and Cytotec. So, so this Cytotec, yes, we're ab- talking about. Yeah, the Toradol. You'll ha- you'd have to get it intravenously or you might be one of these very, very lucky people where the oral form works for you. Talk to your doctor about it because, you know, you need to find – it sounds like you're still in a lot of pain. Uh, yes, a lot of inflammation. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. So give okay. that a try. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this uh, information. Well, listen. You listen to us and tell your friends. But call it any time. Oh, call it yeah. any time. We'd love talking to you. I, I, when right. are you going to open a place in Raleigh, please? Well, I'll talk about that off the air. <laughs> <laughs> Norma Jean, thank thank you so much. Patient forever. Oh, thank you. Well, Norma Jean, thank you for calling in. We thank appreciate it. Thank you all it. for taking my uh, phone call. I appreciate it. Call okay. anytime. God Remember, bless you. Bye bye. Remember that God song by um, uh, Elton John? Goodbye, Norma Jean. Jean. Yeah. Absolutely. Now you know what's interesting. Um, uh, God, you were talking about some. Oh, do you know yeah. there's a lot of orthopedic doctors that are using Celebrex yeah. as a primary post-operative oh, medicine I, no, listen, on joint I love, replacements. I love Celebrex. And, We'll talk. Okay, let's go back. Viox was once a day, twenty-five milligrams, made by Merck, right? And it worked great. So why did they take it off the market? Because there were retrospective analyses that seemed to indicate there was a slightly higher risk of heart attack. Now Viox paid. I mean, uh, Merck paid what ten billion dollars. I mean, if you had a heart attack and you had taken Viox once, you got like five hundred thousand mm. dollars. And I've looked at the studies and. I'm not sure. Now, a really good um, epidemiologist, cardiologist, Rob Califf, was the one, one of the ones who really pushed that Vioxx was a bad medication. But I 
loved it. And I love prescribing it to my patients. Wasn't there a third one? It uh, started with a B. And I and – I, uh, Yeah, I know what you're talking yeah, about. And, oh, I can't remember. And they one. pulled it off voluntarily because they were worried yeah. that what was going to happen. And here's the other thing is that all the studies came out afterwards. Celebrex was uh, associated with a higher risk of myocardial infarction. And so was meloxicam. And you know what else was? Um, uh, Aleve, uh, the compound in Aleve. So, you know, if you're going to take one of these medications, you have to understand there are going to be risks of of problems or potential problems. I think it's far more risky in terms of uh, peptic ulceration and, and GI bleeding. But I think that the retrospective analyses that they've done on a lot of medications are really not helpful. So, for example, every diabetic medication now, after uh, um, one came out uh, and in the uh, pre-marketing studies, did not show any increase in heart attacks. Well, then a lot of people said uh, after it was marketed, oh, my God, we're seeing heart attacks. Pick it off the market. Well, then they went back and looked at all the studies and said, oh, they were faulty. Did not lead to higher risk of heart attacks. And so now every new diabetic medication has to have a billion-dollar study. So it's blinded, um, placebo-controlled to see if it causes greater heart attack. And it's it's a nightmare you in know, terms of how you get a, a drug to market. You were talking during the last hour about getting a drug approved by the FDA. And one of the mainstays of diabetic therapy and has been for years is a wonderful medicine called metformin. You yeah. have to make sure your renal functions, your kidneys are doing okay. Yeah. That medicine was available in Europe for years. And you know what's interesting? Before it that, ever got approved. Is that it actually was there was a um, brother compound uh, or a sister compound, let's not be sexist, of metformin <laughs> that was used here. And I can't remember the name of it. If somebody knows, I could look it up during the commercial. And they took that off the market uh, because eh, it didn't work that well, mm-hmm. you know, as they say. No. Meh. Yeah. And so then in Europe, <laughs> they took the sister compound of metformin and it worked fantastically. Mm-hmm. And that's a great medication, although – a lot of side effects in potential people, and they're missed. I can't tell you there are people who are on metformin, have been to another doctor, a GI doctor, because mm-hmm. of chronic diarrhea, Oh yeah, and it's the metformin. You know what? When it was glucophage, it gave me diarrhea. When I started taking generic metformin, I was fine. That's interesting. Okay. We're going to take a break. We've got so much more this this hour that we're going to talk about. We only planned on about 30 different things, and we've gotten to about two. But we want you to stay with us. This is Heart Health Radio Network. Get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation. This is Heart Health Radio. I'm Steve O'Brien, in for Dave Alexander. And... Who is getting shamed today? Uh, Not an individual person, but I'm going to talk about not everywhere, but in certain places across the country where the school boards and the teachers' unions are refusing to open up the schools again. And, you know, Governor DeSantis in Florida, he's been pilloried. I mean, he said – I mean, they said about him that all these Floridians were going to die. Someone actually called him a murderer because of the way that he had not closed down. Uh, Florida as much. Well, 
they've done the, the studies. Florida schools have remained open, and they're not spreading COVID. Mm-mm. And the teachers aren't getting it. And, you know, nobody has died. And my daughter, I've talked about this before, she goes to um, Cardinal Gibbons, which is uh, one of the Catholic high schools in town. Love that place. Mm-hmm. And they've been open every now and then. If there's an eight-person outbreak, they will go to complete remote learning, and then they'll open up again, and it's worked. And I think people need to realize that the ones who have been hurt most by these school systems that refuse to open are the inner-city kids, are the disadvantaged kids, um, because they don't have high-speed internet. And, and again, I don't want to sound like I'm prejudiced, but there is a, a situation in a lot of these areas where there is no high-speed internet or they can't afford high-speed internet. They don't have laptops. Right. We've got to get the schools open again. It's safe. It's been proven to be safe. And if you hear somebody in the teachers' union somewhere saying that they're going to die if they reopen the schools, it's not true. If people would would you know we could get this thing really to if people would really hunker down and and be careful and watch uh, you know being around folks who you don't know what their status is and whatever we could probably with everybody getting vac- vaccinated and not looking for incorrect information from whatever site you're going to and well this vaccine isn't any good for you because well, and that brings up another topic for me is that what's been great is I'll knock on the door when I'm going into a patient's room and I'll say have you had your vaccine yet and I'm telling you 80% of my patients, and I have a patient population that's elderly, mm-hmm. um, have had the vaccine. Yay. Then there are some who tell me they're never going to get it. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> it's not COVID. <laughs> and I ask him why. And it's the reasons are uh, it's been rushed through. Uh, people are dying of the vaccine. And what? it takes me a long time to get to the point where They're convinced or maybe sort of convinced that the stuff they're reading on Facebook is wrong. See, I wasn't I wasn't going to mention the name, but you are you're exactly right. And people need to be aware of the fact that this technology that has been used in the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine, they've been working on it for 20 years. And the 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 covid epidemic was the uh, initiator of them saying, hey, I got this technique. We haven't had a reason to use it yet. Let's do it. And so what would be a rush through? Okay, let me tell you what would, in my mind, is if they made the vaccine and just started handing it out. They studied this in millions of patients, millions of volunteers. And it was shown to be safe and effective in the right way. Half got a placebo. Half of the group got the vaccine. They followed them along and they looked for, and they didn't know who, they looked for people in the study who got COVID. And they proved they got COVID. Then they went back and a separate group of people said, okay, did they have the vaccine or did they have the placebo? And 93% of the people in the Moderna trial who got COVID had the placebo. 
There you go. Yeah. You see, and one of the things that I think is important to uh, – it's kind of – now I can't – I lost my tra- train of thought. Uh, you and I both. Uh, but uh, – uh, oh, jeez. Oh, it would have been rushed in my mind if they came up with this vaccine, tried it on 50 people right. and said, yep, works. Well, you know what I, what I wanted to do uh, and I thought would be a – um, ethical trial, What's but that? they wouldn't do it. Hmm. And I, there were, did you know, there were a hundred thousand U.S. volunteers who wrote in and said, "Give me the vaccine. Ex- wait, you know, four or five weeks for it to take effect, and then expose me to COVID." So this would be called a challenge trial. Mm-hmm. Imagine if they'd been able to do that, we would have had the vaccine a lot quicker. And, you know, they kept saying it was unethical. Now, wait a minute, okay? Are, are you therefore going to say that volunteers in the Army, we, well, we can't let them volunteer because what if they get killed? I mean, that's just dangerous. So, you know, again, uh, I think we did it. Uh, I think we did it right. I would have recommended a challenge trial to those people who really understood mm-hmm. that they were going to be at risk for getting a fatal disease. But it's been – these studies have been great, and they say, well, why are people dying three days after they get the vaccine? Uh, marvelous Marvin Hagler, you know, great, great um, uh, boxer. And so he got the vaccine, and three days later, he's dropped dead. It was not because of the vaccine. Oh, it wasn't? No. Okay. Yeah. And the wife doesn't say why and respect her, but his wife said no. It was a health ailment unrelated to the vaccine. So – don't get your uh, medical information from Google. Don't get your medical information. Certainly don't get it from Facebook. This has been a wonderful experience for me. I sat last week here while you and Dave did the show, and I was fascinated anyway. And one of the first things I said to you when you walked in, I hope I don't mess this up. Oh, my God. Uh, but I am so honored to be on the and show Dave, with Dave, you. Dave, if you're listening, don't worry. Yeah. You're still the man. You absolutely. We've got uh, Barbara on the phone. We're going to talk with Barbara in just a minute. Welcome to Heart Health with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefald. Call us with your health questions at 919-860-9783. And I'm Steve O'Brien, and we are back. And so many things, we, we, we've been sitting here talking like like we've been buddies for 50 years, and we just uh, have we a haven't great time. We have been? I wish. I, I, I wish. Did you go to elementary school at Jackson Road? I think that was you. Nathan C. Schaefer in <laughs> Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and I'm proud to say. Absolutely. Let's go to the telephones. And Barbara Jean, we thank you for holding on. You've been very patient. Go right ahead. I have a question sure. about um, how careful you need to be when you're preparing your uh, food. For instance, tomatoes. I do not peel my tomatoes, and I'm wondering um, just how this. What do I need to do? Well, I tell you what. I you, used to be a gardener. I was going to say, do you before, grow? Well, before I became a doctor, I was the president of my Future Farmers of America chapter. Mm, yeah. So, awesome. guess what? I was. The Maryland State Vegetable Judging Champion. 
Hey, guess what my specialty was? Tomatoes. Tomatoes. Oh, there you go. Isn't that fantastic? That's great. So, jeez, uh, I wish I could tell you, but what we used to do is we get those little peat moss things, you know, those little, uh, they came in uh, dried out things and you'd add water to them and then they would, they would absorb all the water and then you'd take your tomato seed and put it in there. And then there was miracle Grow. You remember that stuff? Oh, definitely. So you'd put the miracle Grow on there and then we had a little hothouse. Mm-hmm. And we put them in the hothouse, and they grow to about six or seven inches, and then we transplant them. But, see, there you go. But that's the most I remember uh-huh. about tomatoes. Barbara Jean, what's your question regarding regarding preparation or yeah, what you should so, do? If when I go to the grocery store and I bring the tomatoes home, how do I wash them to get them ready to eat? Oh, I thought I you were talking about growing. Okay, I here, just wonder if they're safe or, say, apples, for instance. Yeah, so here's That's the thing. thing. Here's the thing about tomatoes, okay? They have pesticides. They have herbicides on them. The issue in washing them is pretty simple, and it's soap and water, and that'll do it. And what you generally do is take your dish soap and you put a squirt, few squirts on it and wash it pretty thoroughly. So I would say that you, I would take and run the water on it. I would um, uh, take a, a sponge and sponge it off. And then I would rinse them, you know, and I would do that whole process for a minute for each tomato. Because the health issues about what's on uh, the tomato in terms of the pesticides and the herbicides. Well, I'm really worried about known. COVID. Oh, you don't need to worry about that. Um, there was a big thing in the in in when this all started that uh, the transmission was going to be in the grocery stores through those sorts of things. And if you wash the the tomatoes the same way I just said to get the pesticides off, you're not going to have a problem at all. And what I don't and definitely don't do is use a uh, disinfectant on your vegetables because. The vegetables are going to absorb it, right. and so you're going to wind up with something more horrible, which is ingesting um, a disinfectant as opposed to um, COVID or uh, the pesticide. Boy, I really misunderstood that question. Yeah, no, it's it's okay, Ooh. Barbara Jean. Did 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 that uh, answer what you need to know? I didn't understand the What did he say? Used um... soap, soap and water, soap and water, and do not use a uh, disinfectant, Um, it's just not worth it because you may have that disinfectant absorbed into the tomato itself. Just just plain old hand soap? Hand soap. But rinse it off uh, uh, with with water, uh, obviously. Just rinse off all the soap and that'll get your tomato ready to eat. Okay. And the same would be true for grapes or apples or whatever. Absolutely. Just soap and water is the best thing you can do. Okay, well, thank you so much. Thank you. Barbara Jean, thank you for calling us on the program. <laughs> I had, That's I awesome. had such a brain, you know what. I thought maybe she was calling uh, a garden show. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. I, I got you. I got you. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it, it's, it's fascinating, and people are worried about, can I get it at the grocery store? What yeah. about the barber shop? Well, what but, about, you, know, you know, the bottom line is you should be washing your vegetables anyway. Well, of course, yeah. Yeah, and you know why also? COVID, I mean, not COVID, uh-huh. um, organic vegetables are a big source of E. coli. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. 
Perfect. Let's go back to the telephones. We thank you so much for calling us on Heart Health Radio. Clay from Raleigh. Go ahead, Clay. Hey, Dr. Weefold. Uh, hey. This is the first time I've been able to talk to you. I usually call in during the weeknights and speak to uh, you know Brother Tom and about different stuff, but I just felt led to share this. Um, I got my second COVID vaccine today, and um, I was asking this the lady who uh, administered the the vaccine, um, I was asking her because somebody had shared with me um, at one of the churches I go to said something about taking and had also, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very perceptive. I was in the military and I was taught to, you know, be knowledgeable and wise about a lot of stuff. But um, this individual said something about um, taking Advil, you know, around lunch and then later on. But um I don't, I, you know, I, I don't take Tylenol, I don't take Advil, I don't take other stuff like that. What I have been taking over the last several years, and I have found it to be very helpful, is when you're going through something, is bare aspirin, 81 milligrams, and, you know, because it's good for your heart. Um, you know, it's like if I have something in my back. Um, but I do know that the lady who gave me the very nice lady at the VA hospital this morning, um said that, you know, that you've received your second one, um, you can, um, I don't, I'm not a two, ma- two mask wearing person. I, I'm a, I wear one and, uh, I just find it interesting that, you know, people were, <laughs> uh, I, I would say wear the mask that you're comfortable wearing. If you go to the grocery store, wear the mask there. But what was shared with me is this like, in two weeks, maybe you can wean off of it. I mean, if somebody you know that is not doing well, wear a mask around them. Yeah. yeah. But I just, um, you know, I'm like a shared first time calling. I always get intrigued and interested when I hear you sharing the things that you do uh, and the work that you do. It's a God given blessing that you're able to share the things um, that people can hear and make them feel better. So anybody that's listening out there, um, get your COVID shots. Uh, they will, you know, they separate it. I know the VA separating it three weeks, but um, it's just it's just a word to the wise to be to be able to do the smart thing. And I just want to say thank 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 you and thank you thank both of you for doing this program today. Thank you. It's very thank helpful you. and it's very insightful. Dr. Weefall, he brought up a good point. So yeah. he said if he's going to get like maybe some side effect from this from the second shot or whatever, he takes an 81 milligram aspirin, yeah, me, which is great for heart health. Yeah. Not and, probably going to do that much for pain, though. Well, let me tell you. Well, some and people, I just want to hear what your thoughts. Some people respond to aspirin extremely well. And, you know, it's it's a bygone thing. Mm-hmm. Um, aspirin works. I mean, oh, it really it does. absolutely the works. The biggest problem is that aspirin is even more likely to cause GI side effects than, uh, say, Advil. Although, you know, the data is really not there. But we used to take 650 of aspirin. Mm-hmm. And if you had, and it works. So there was a big controversy for a while. And they said, oh, if you're going to get the COVID vaccine, don't take Tylenol, don't take Advil at all, because it'll reduce your immune response. That is not true. And right. I'm going to tell you, if you can, I'm, again, I can't give medical advice over the phone or over the radio, but if you are able to take those two medications, and I mean, I had to take them because when I got my second vaccine, I got a real sore, uh, second dose, I had a real sore arm, achy, low-grade fever, 
I took two Advil, two Tylenol. Every six hours, it was gone. Yeah, that's wonderful. Now, Clay, I'm, now yeah, this her. is. I hope you don't mind. I hope you don't mind this. I hope Clay yeah. doesn't mind this. I hope there's two words that aren't in your vocabulary. This is my personal opinion. One of them is BCs, and the other one is goodies. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I, okay, I'm going to disagree with you. Go ahead. Okay. The only thing, okay, Excedrin Extra Strength. Uh, is Great. Guess what? Hmm. Is that the same thing the as BCs? Same thing. Now, as prop, BCs or goodies? So or? BC powders are, and goodie powders, for the most part, um, are aspirin, acetaminophen, so it's an aspirin, Tylenol. Right. And a little caffeine. Right. So 60 milligrams of caffeine. So Excedrin, same thing, but in pill form. Yeah. So uh, the bad problem with BC powders is that they're abused by certain people. Right. Now, yeah. I got B, I was taking BCs, and I'm going to tell you something. The reason why? They it were. made me feel good. Yeah. I, yeah. And I, even when I wasn't in pain. I don't know. It was something weird. Maybe it's psychological. And guess what I got? What's that? A really bad ulcer. Yeah. And I was taking only two a day. Yeah. So, I mean, two extra strength Excedrin are the same as one BC powder. And so you just got to be careful uh, when you take it. Now, uh, let's go back to the vaccine issue about aspirin. New article. They look back, and again, this is a look-back study, so it's called retrospective. But those people who were on 81 milligrams of aspirin who got COVID had a much lower chance of severe COVID. I see. So why? Anti-inflammatory. And so if you're out there and you're contemplating getting a vaccine – and you're worried because they, you know, it's been out there that you're not supposed to take Advil or Tylenol, and you're afraid that you're going to be feeling bad. Right. It's okay. Uh, that does. I mean, that doesn't do it at all. Now, if your second dose of Moderna or Pfizer causes what I got, which is muscle aches and a, a sore arm and a low grade fever, that means it worked. Yeah. That means the first one uh, induced your immune response, and the second one was an example of how strong your immune response was. Yeah. So I'm sorry to bring that, that thing up about uh, BC's. It's just a thing I've seen well, so listen, many folks. Do you know what the number one cause of kidney failure is in Australia? What's that? BC powders. BC they, have, they have a different name. It's probably kangaroo powder yeah, or yeah, something, something like that. Yeah. But people would take seven or eight a day. No, oh, that's too yeah. much. Hey, Clay, thanks so much for calling in and, and for one your more kind thing. words. One more thing. Yes, sir. Well, you know, like I said, it's just, it's just very helpful to be perceptive with stuff. And I know there are so many people out there that are hesitant. But, um, you know, it's just like the VA is doing the Pfizer thing. And it's 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 very helpful because I mean you know they're from what I understand the VA is slightly ahead of the state now because of, oh. I mean, they've opened up the door, um, but it's you know I I'm I'm hearing what y'all were saying, um, you know but I you know when I I had major surgery this August will be 11 years ago and so I'm just trying to take care of what you know the body that the Lord gave me. Yeah. And not overdo it. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not young, as young as I used to be, but it is very helpful to listen to what you have to say as to what other people have to say. And you kind of, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a Googler, because uh, Google can throw confusion. <laughs> you listen to what your, pro, your, you listen to what 
a doctor like yourself says or a primary care doctor because they're they're raised in the medicine field to help you get more of an understanding and a comprehension of what you're able to do and it's going to be helpful for you down the road. Well, I appreciate it. One thing I also want to say, I love my vets. Okay, you served our country mm-hmm. and yes, sir. the VA actually, you know, for all the problems the VA had, they have done this COVID thing correctly. So, I hate to use the term thank you for a service. I I say Thank you for what you did for my country. Well, sir, I'll be honest with you. It's, it's an interesting story. I don't want to take up too much time, but um, you know, I felt, and and I've shared, I've shared with so many people. I learned more about honor and respect when I went in, and I did the four years that I was in there. Um, you know, being a Christian now, uh, I am I, I'm more respectful of anything, but. Um, you know, I just felt led and compelled to do it because, I mean, you know, going in and learning to, you know, get yourself up early and stuff like that. And I mean, get yourself prepared for the world because that's what it does. It, it, it is a preparedness that you are ready to do. And the, the words are like I shared honor and respect are there. So, um, the, the, there's no need to thank me. Uh, you're welcome, but, uh, give thanks to the Lord for that because, uh, I, I'm, I've, I've learned quite a bit. All right, Clay. Listen, thank you so much. Take care. Well, okay. Thank y'all for thank y'all for doing the radio show. It's a God given blessing. Thank, thank you, you. Thank you, sir. Well, boy, we, we <laughs> let's talk now. Where did two hours go to? Well, I mean, do we have another break coming up? Right. Yes, we have a break. You want to take a break now? Let's do it. Because I want to. I want to talk about your career because it's fascinating. Okay, let us take a break. This is the Heart Health Radio Network. By the way, you can listen to Heart Health Radio on Apple Podcasts or at hearthealthradio.com. Well, that's not me. You know you make me wanna That's uh, Ronald Isley or one of the Isley brothers. Just run the back. Be clear. I'm Steve O'Brien in for Dave Alexander, who he says, if you heard our first hour, that he's going to be back next week. Well, that's great. And awesome. Um, But the shout out. Go ahead. It's to Dave. I mean. Absolutely. And and I don't know if you listened to the show last week. He was he was he he doesn't like that. The listening to. The sounds of medical instruments. And I was terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, the saw that cuts open the, the well, sure. sternum and stuff. And so I texted him. And we were <laughs> texting really? back and forth. And I said, I said, no, uh, I won't give you any sound effects. And he said, guess what? Go ahead. Doesn't scare me anymore. You know? That's so cool. I think it's like the soldier right. who was afraid of storming Normandy. The beaches. And now that he survived it, you know, combat is no problem. You know, I think it was great that he said that he woke up after four hours and said he was pretty awake. I mean, you don't feel like running running laps, but he, yeah. he was pretty awake. Uh, you and I were talking. I was in a bad car accident in 2008 yeah. and broke both my legs. And I was in the hospital for almost eight weeks. I was out of work for six months. The key is... 
the first surgery, because it was my right femur, which was a mess. That's they the, put a rod in it or what? Oh, they had a totally reconstructed. Did you have sticking out of your leg? Oh, no, it wasn't sticking out of my leg. But, it, but no, 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 it wasn't that bad. But the whole head, the bottom part of your biggest bone in your body, which is your Lift. in your thigh. Yeah. Okay, I'm just saying for yeah. – I know you know what Well, yeah, is. no, duh. Yeah. Um, but the 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 uh, uh, bottom part of it, right by your knee, right. was totally. How they how they rebuild that? Uh, they just put it all back together Ouch. in pieces and put rods in there to hold it together. And then the other problem was the femur was like, ow, yeah, was like torn out to the right so they were hoping that it would come back together right. it didn't so they had to go back through again and put that piece back in you Ouch. can you can feel you can feel the plate and the screws in my leg oh i my don't God. suggest anybody line up in line to well, do that know, but okay i can't beat you this yeah. is not oh i can beat this but i broke my hip oh. so i fell off a horse um stupidly i bought this thing that i thought was really gentle. It turned out that the owner previously had, had drugged it. Mm-hmm. But I fell off and broke a hip, and I just walked around on it for a while because I thought it was just hurtful. And my buddy uh, uh, that I went to medical school with, Kevin Spear, he's a mm-hmm. shoulder guy. He's mm-hmm. wonderful. He, he, I, I called him up to talk about another patient. I said, you know, I had a real tough time standing. My, he said, you broke your acetabulum, which is the cup. All right. And I went to a physician uh, who wanted to put pins in it, and I went to get a second opinion. I just leave it alone. Wear crutches. So I can't top this. Okay. Well, the reason I even brought the whole thing up is because – so he did four hours. I did eight hours because it was both both legs. So it was like you and Tiger Woods, huh? Well, yeah, exactly. And the the funny thing was when – this is a great story. I love to tell it. So eight hours, obviously, when they take you out of anesthesia after eight hours, you don't just wake up and say, oh, can I – you know. So I'm in my room – there was a clergyman there who was a friend, and he's talking to me, and I'm, I remember saying, you know, this guy makes the best cheesesteaks anyway. <laughs> that is, that, so is that is a true story. Did they story. have you in traction? Seven weeks. So you had that thing coming, the, yep. coming out of your leg yep. or whatever, attached you like You're over right. the pulley. Yep. And how do they adjust the weight? Uh, my my orthopedic doctor, who wonderful, where wonderful was this man, at? What city? Rocky Mountain. Wow. And um, he came in, and every day he'd kind of feel how you're doing, how you're feeling, and he'd take some of the weight off. Wow. Well, so you started your career in radio, is yes. that correct? Yes. So, what was your major in college? Oh, when I first time, my major was. Going on the radio. Oh, okay. So you, what, had, you were in radio in college. Yes, and that's one of the reasons I decided to go to Penn State Uni- University and State Penn College. State, the Penn State, the Nittany Lions. We are. Okay. That's uh, but that's one of the reasons I did not work hard in college. I didn't really want to be there. I wanted to be working in radio. And why? Because when I grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, in the late 50s, I would come home from school in the afternoon. And what would I watch? I would watch a show in the afternoon. At the time, it was called Bandstand. Yeah. It would later be called American Bandstand. And, that and was, I that wanted was to be. Sure, it was in Philadelphia. Philadelphia. 
I wanted to be Dick Clark. Oh. That's what I wanted to be. Okay, so you've done everything, right? You've done radio. You've done sports. Yes. You were on TV. Yes. I can't believe you were a weatherman. Yep. A weatherman. I I did that for four years at K-Gun Television. As a matter of fact, there there is, if you go on YouTube, there's a thing on there, K-Gun TV news opens, and there's one of my news opens is on there. That's awesome. Bruce Farrell, our news director here. Presto Changeo. Right. You go to PA school. What happened was I saw what was going on. I wanted to train in something that I could do and pick where I wanted to live. Okay, uh-huh. so I went to a career school and became a medical as- as- assistant. It was wonderful. I really enjoyed it. However, I started working and making eight dollars an hour, <laughs> and I knew. And that's not say anything bad about people making eight dollars an hour, but. I knew I wanted to do more. And right. I, I was going to go to medical school, and I went over uh, – I was in Tucson, Arizona at the time, and I went over to University of Arizona and walked into their medical school office, and there was a student in there that said, you don't want to go to medical school because medical schools frown on second-career physicians. You know what they want now? Is second career physicians. That's exactly. So I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was working in at a hospital. One of the doctors who I became friendly with came to me and said, you know what you ought to do? I said, what's that? He said, you ought to be a PA. I said, why should I be a PA? He said, well, first of all, I think you'd be good at it. But second of all, I've been trying to find one for two years now. Yeah. Go to school, get out of school, come back and work for me. And I would have done that, except... That I, as I told you, I won National Public Health Corps scholarship, which they paid my whole way through school. I have no student loans. And in return, I owed them five years of service in an underserved area. And I did that service at a small town, two hours from Tucson, two hours from Phoenix, two hours from Yuma, 30 minutes from the Mexican border called Ajo. It's a small town. And, uh, that's where so you I did got, primary care there. You, 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 you do everything care. Do you speak Spanish? Uh, enough to get by. Did they have an interpreter when you needed it? Yes. Okay. Yes. That is so awesome. So you did five years there. Where did you go after that? After I did five years there, I moved to uh, – where did I go from there? Uh, oh, came here, North Carolina. We decided we wanted to move, my ex-wife and I, we decided we wanted to move to the East Coast. Uh-huh. All my offers kept coming in from uh, North North Carolina. And so I what did you work, do when you came here? Worked in the ER at Nash General Hospital. You're kidding. In Rocky Mountain. What years were that? That was 2001 to 2003. That's incredible. And you know, I worked to yours. Have you? Oh, cool. Yeah. We'll talk I, about that. I like, yeah, we we can. We're running out of time. Come on, now. I've had well, a blast. Third hour. Can we, can we just tell them we're staying? <laughs> we will do it again. Absolutely. Listen, my, absolutely, my friend. Thank yes. thank you so much, and thank you all for listening. Heart Health Radio is for information purposes only. Before taking any action, consult your doctor.